0: So if you would, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. As we continue our study of this great letter, oft neglected in many church settings because of the difficulty and differentness, otherness of this letter. Uh, I hope it has blessed you as much as it has blessed me. I doubt it. Um, Often when you study something, you are the most blessed. And so... Hopefully each Sunday is my attempt to invite you into the blessing that the Lord has blessed me with through these words. I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So just to bring everyone up to speed, those who weren't here last week or who weren't able to Uh, Hear the message. These verses, I believe, are the big therefore of the letter to the Hebrews, this whole letter. We find a similar statement in Romans chapter 12. He goes through all of the mercies of God, some of the most amazing words written in all the Bible, and then he says, Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that that indicates for Paul the major shift from theology to application. From here's what it is, here's what God has done, here's the amazing thing that he's done in Christ for 11 chapters in the case of Romans, and then here's then what you should do. Here's how we thus should live. And that's what these verses are, I think. He gives us three commands. And we talked last week about expectation versus reality and that sometimes someone builds up expectation and you're excited for something and then you're let down because the expectation doesn't come to fruition. So if we feel that ever happens in the Bible, that means we're either not understanding what has built us up to that point or not understanding how big the thing is that's finally revealed. And he gives us three commands. Three commands. And he builds it on the foundation, he summarizes, if you will, uh, everything that he said up to this point. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that statement doesn't occur in isolation, he's saying, because of all that I've said, because of all that distinguishes this new covenant, this new way opened through the curtain that is Jesus' flesh for us, we have this Confidence. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So these, these are the, the, the pillars that he's been building for us for 10 chapters. So because those are the case, because that is true, because hopefully through this study you've, been, you've come to appreciate the gravity of those things, then he gives us commands. Before we move to look at these commands again and to just let them marinate in our hearts, we have to be very careful as Christians. Because within each of us is a legalist. We want rules. We want do's and don'ts. We don't want, we don't necessarily want the Spirit to come in and change us from the center so that we obey out of joy. We just want to know, just hide this to ourselves and just tell us what to do and not do. We're legalists at heart, and that's, that's the core of our idolatry. We, we worship ourselves. We insist on our right to be who we are in the core of our being. And we, so we'll, we'll operate however you tell us to so that we don't get hell or we don't get some kind of punishment. But we don't want this to change. And so the point is, if if you have not been changed by the gospel, by the fact that Jesus has opened this new way through his flesh, and that he is now the high priest over the household of God, then these commands will just be more do's and don'ts for you. It will just further entrench you in your legalism. So it's very important to have that. And, And the nature of the commands themselves help to expose that in us, so they—they almost have safeguards in themselves. So today, what are we going to do? That's—that's that's all that I've said so far is to try and, re- as a refresher and a reminder, or bringing those up to speed who weren't here. There's so much to say <laughs> about these verses, um, and I. I struggle to know even how to put together a, a mini-series on this. It's kind of what we're in. But we're just going to look at two things today, two parts, rather. Is First, I want to show how these three commands are interdependent, interdependent or interrelated, how you can't have one without the other. That they all build on each other. And then second, I, I just have some what, what I would call prefatory remarks, or, or what I would call, first of all, before we get into some of the nitty-gritty, just, just some things that the Lord has been pressing on me as I read these verses, as I've thought about them, as we've gone through this pandemic together, these are just things that I feel like need to be said with respect to these verses. And they're all exegetical, but, um, but hopefully they will be encouraging as well. So the first thing I want to say is is three commands, I have trouble holding up three with this cast on. Three commands, one idea. Three commands, one idea. So this is my claim, and it's a significant claim that each of these three commands, let's look at them again. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So what I'm saying is those are three different commands, and it's one central idea. And you should be asking yourself, how can you say that? You can't just, just say that without proof. You should be like a Berean and see, based on the text, if this is true. If, if, if what I'm saying, that these three commands work together and can't be taken separately, is really true. So let's first look at what they all have in common. Number one, they are built, all of them, on the same foundation. So when he begins the verses, uh, I'll probably read verses 19 through 21 several times. Therefore, brothers, since since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, then let us, let us, let us. So it's the same foundation. Because this foundation is true and that we all share it, All of the three commands are built on that same foundation. It's not a different thing for each one. Number two, you can't do any one of them without the others. And I'll illustrate this, hopefully, in a couple of ways. First, uh, it's sort of like the passage regarding the fruit of the Spirit. It is not fruits, plural, of the Spirit But rather, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Right? Because how absurd would it be to say that you have love and no self-control? Or that you have uh, peace but no goodness? Right, they're, they're all interdependent on each other, and this is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. This is what He produces in us. It, it's, it's Paul's way of giving us multiple words to describe the same thing. So how absurd would it be to hold fast to our confession, right? That's, that's, that's one of them, one of the three commands we find here. How absurd would it be to hold fast to our confession and not draw near in the full assurance of faith? And how absurd would it be to draw near with the full assurance of faith, but without holding fast to our confession. And how absurd would it be to stir one another up to love and to good works if we're not drawing near and holding fast to our confession. And this one I want you to really consider because I think it's the point the author wants us to feel. How absurd would it be to have the full assurance of faith, to hold fast to our confession and not stir one another up. To love and to good works. That's what he wants you to feel. That it would be absurd to do that. Or to not do that. Number three. They are all things that we must do together. In Greek, it's actually one word. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. It's not not three words in each case. It's just one word. Right, And it's all built together. And so the sense is, we shall or we should do this together. It's not just... This is how I think we can read verses in the Bible that we know are already directed to the whole group of us. We can read it this way. Each of you individually make sure that you blank. Right? Rather... It's that you all together do this and make sure that each other are doing it. Let's do an experiment. Let's be a a good kind, the good kind of childlike. Ransom is in the uh, phase right now of asking, what that? Or what's that? Right? If you don't understand toddler speak. Um, And a little bit older, those of you who are parents know that this uh, phase comes. But what what are the questions we get as parents all the time? Why? And also, when they get a little bit older, how or how and why? And the author has given us the why. So let's ask of the author, let's be the good kind of childlike. Let's just ask how. How, author of Hebrews, do you want us to draw near? How is it that you want us to hold fast? And I think the flow of those commands... Answer them. So he gives us this command let us draw near. So, how are we to do that? And how are we to make sure that brother and sister do the same? Well, you should hold fast. The first thing you should do if you want to make sure that you draw near is that you hold fast to our confession. Well, how are we supposed to do that, author of Hebrews? And how are we to make sure that brother and sister do the same? Well, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. And you could even ask further, well, how are we to do that? How are we to stir one another up to love and to good works? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Number four, these are the things that these verses have in common. There, there are more things that these verses have in common, but I'll... Uh, limit myself to four. These are all the main thrust of the letter itself. If you look at the other imperatives, it will give you a big word, imperatives, that's just another word for commands. The other commands in Hebrews are this, that we have up to this point. Consider Jesus. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Do you feel this trajectory? That that it's not just the author talking about theology and hoping that we'll understand that the the whole thrust of the letter is, is for the community of believers that he's writing to to make sure each other Hold fast till the end. Let us hold fast our confession. So this, what, what I've called before the approach of faith, this life of approaching the, the, even the holy of holies of heaven as we look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, that that approach that, that is an everyday thing, not an isolated moment in your story back when you became a Christian or experienced regeneration, but this approach of faith is an everyday thing that we all make sure that each other are doing together. And this is God's design. So that's the first part to show you that. Hopefully, you see how these three commands are interrelated and depend on each other. Second section is it's just some preliminary thoughts. Or first of all, before we, uh, Lord willing, next week, study some of the intricacies here and ask some questions about it. Before, before I tell you, though, what, what I know about these verses, I want to tell you what I don't know about myself and about the future and about you. First, I don't know it, how much for you there is a danger of that legalism tendency. I don't know. I, I may know or have an idea with some of you, but, but I don't know each of you as intimately as I would like to in where you are in your faith. And what it is that you're dealing with at your heart of hearts, at the bottom. So when I talk about, we should do this, if, if I, if, if I say that and, and you are on the precipice of, of legalism, or maybe you're already captured by it, then, then I don't know that it will be of much benefit to you. So I don't know. And I'm pleading with you each time that we talk about the therefores or the commands that, that you know that the only reason we can do these things is because what Christ has done on the cross, that he paid for by his blood your ability to follow in obedience. Okay. So just know that when, when I, when I say these things, I'm not just calling us to a new law. I'm calling us as the Bible does to live consistently with the gospel. So be careful as we go through these things. Second thing I don't know, I don't know how many weeks we'll be in this passage, um, and I'm sorry. Uh, I will need to feel like, I guess, that we get it in some sense um, and begin to see a, a growth towards obedience as a church together. Th- this text is one of the reasons I picked Hebrews. Uh, back in 2018 to begin with, so I don't know. Um, But part of my burden as your pastor is that there is a danger of a bludgeoning to happen to each of you once we get to verse 26, some of the most difficult passages, verses in all the Bible. And if you're not ready, with the encouragement of verses 19 through 25, it will damage you. Okay, so I need to feel that that we got it and we're cherishing the hope and the encouragement of these verses before we plunge into that, okay? And third, I don't know your heart. I can't peer in and see what it is that makes you tick, and I can't see what you really want and desire. I simply don't know. So I have to guess. And I can maybe make good guesses. And I can guess based on words you say and actions and compare that to Scripture. But I still, still don't know. I still don't know for sure. And sometimes, uh, often, I don't even know myself. Some of you might hear all that I have to say about these verses and say, Yes! Yes, this is what I've been missing. This is what I want in my life. This is what I want out of my relationship with Christ. This is what's been there in front of me. I haven't been able to define all this time. And and there it is. Yes, I want it. Some of you might be discouraged because you've been a Christian for a long time. You've never had this. What's described in verses 19 through 25 and it discourages you. Makes you sad. Some, this is my fear, and this is me being very vulnerable. My fear is that you'll hear what I'm saying, understand why I'm insisting that it applies to the life of the church, and you'll cross your arms, stand on the sidelines, and say, Not for me. Or, Yeah, but, and go a different direction. And some of you might even reject it altogether. What does this guy know? He doesn't have a master's degree. What right does he have to say how a church should be? Et cetera, et cetera. So, my appeal to you all is simply this see it. See it gloriously in the text. If you can see it and that this is what God says directly to you. It's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just trying to highlight and underscore and shine a bright light on what's there for you. And this is God's best for you. This is at least part of God's best for you. That part of what Christ died to make yours. I want you to have all that he died to make yours. So hear this. Hear these things about the text and ask that the Lord would show you where you need to change, where we all need to change. So here's what I know about this text. First, these commands are built on the foundation of Christ's work. We've already mentioned this. We're saying it again. I've said it probably three or four times already this morning. These commands are built on the foundation of Christ's work. Since we have these things, since these things are true, since we have such a great priest, then we can obey. The power and motivation is from knowing who Jesus is and exactly what it is that he has done for you, not just a basic bad kind of way that, oh, yeah, Jesus loves me and and he wants me to be a good person. But maturity, the maturity that he talks about, the author of that is, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and press on to maturity, that this deep grasp, this mature hold on Christ is what makes these commands possible for you. It's built on that foundation. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that deep-rooted grasp of Christ, your high priest the greater Moses, the greater Abraham, the greater Joshua, the greater Aaron, the greater Melchizedek, the greater David, and just read it again. <laughs> read chapters 1 through 10 again and again and again. Maybe listen to a sermon or two that we have recorded on our website if you run into a place that's confusing. You need that grasp. Deep-seated hold of Christ. Second, these commands give the big picture we need. Do you understand that these commands gloriously encompass all of Christian life? Talks about the inner life, In the life of the community, he says, let us draw near with the full assurance of faith. So he's talking at the deepest level of your heart and what it means to be in community with other believers. He's talking about the meaning of faith, the very thing that unites us with Christ. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope and it encompasses all of love and all of good works. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good work. So anything that we could call love and anything that we could call a good work is encapsulated or held together or shown or given to us in these verses. It, It brings it all together. Anything you know Jesus would want to see happen in the life of your brothers or sisters is your responsibility not to create, but to stir up. And that gives meaning to our Sunday mornings. This is, this is how it, it encompasses everything. It, it explains why it is we gather. Like, why do we even do this? There's no, there's no explicit command that it should be on Sunday that we should have our, the structure of our services the way we do. So, so why, why do we do it? We do it because we're commanded to stir one another up, to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some and all the way until the end so it not just encompasses all of your christian life now but all the way until the end until you see the uh, even more he says more even as you see the day approaching drawing near number 3 these commands are not negative they're not negative especially if you think of the first two commands Understand this, the third command, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, isn't an excuse to be mean, okay? It's not a spiritual gift to be a jerk, okay? And some, I think, may believe it is, hopefully not in our church. The word can mean to incite. Or to cause contention or an argument. The only other place that I know of that uses this word in the New Testament is when it describes the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And the, there arose a, a sharp disagreement. That's the same word. So what are we to do with this? Many have taken it to say, is, or, or to feel, happy open season to be mean to your brothers and sisters in Christ so that they'll obey Jesus. And that's not... What he's talking about. That's not the way of Christ. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love keeps no records of wrongs. It does not insist on its own way. So many other verses we could go to. So I I was educated at home. I don't know if that's painfully obvious every time we gather. But I was educated at home. Never played organized sports, as you know them. My sport was fence-making, okay? And about half the time, I got paid for it, which means I probably made more off of my sport than y'all ever did y'all's, so I'm, I'm a professional, okay, um, in my sport. So, uh, but one of the reasons I love football, specifically, is because it, I believe it is the ultimate team sport, okay? You can sign one free agent in baseball, and it will change your entire season, right? And it'll put you over the top. But in football, you can get the best player you want. But if you don't have a good team chemistry, if your defense doesn't hold up their side of the bargain, if your special teams is terrible, Cowboys last season, uh, then you're not going to do very well. doesn't matter how good any one person is in particular. If you're not all working together for the same goal, if you're not all on the same page, it's going to fall apart, One of the things I love to watch when uh, the networks show this is the pregame speech, right? So they all run out onto the field, they're smoking fireworks, and then they all huddle around and they're, they're doing some kind of dance or, or chant. And then one player, sometimes it's very uh, uh, s- spontaneous for who, who's in the middle of that mosh pit, as it were, but they, they start yelling and, and talking about how we're going to win We're going to get out there and we're going to put all the struggles of the season so far behind us. We've got what it takes. We're going to win. That is the flavor of this word. Stir one another up to love and good works. It does involve some level of agitation, but not being mean. It is a rally cry, a battle cry. To each other, stir one another up to love and good works. It's not a fire extinguisher verse, okay? Like Matthew 18 is, right? When, when your brother sins against you, you gotta go to him and tell him his fault. This, this isn't inherently negative. What, what this, uh, means is it is our bread and butter. For our Christian life, or maybe more culturally appropriately for Idaho, this is the meat and potatoes of Christian life, right? That, that this isn't just when you see your brother falling into sin or when he sins against you. You, this is what we do every day. We stir one another up, even as 313 has told us, exhort one another every day. There's no mention of sin necessarily until we get to verse 26. This means to do the basic Christian life. Love and good works. You need your brothers and sisters stirring you up. And they need you stirring them up. So full stop before we go to the next one. This is an honest question for yourself to work, to, work through. Rather, Does this describe your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you the guy who wants to jump into the middle of that pre-game huddle and stir them up for love and to good works, for the sake of our Lord, for His great kingdom, for His namesake? Do you see it? Do you see the kingdom? And do you, do you want to jump in and seek the kingdom and stir up your brothers and sisters so that we can together say, Yes, let's go. Let's do this together. Next, these commands show we really need each other. This almost goes without saying, but it needs to be said. We really need each other. This verse, and this is is one of the things that I've just been thinking about and marinating on for months, is that these verses indicate a God-designed interdependency. What do I mean by that? It's not that it's, it's, it's not that we are each inadequate, and that's a bad thing, and so, so we got to stir one another up and lean on each other and just make it through to the end. That's not what this indicates. It indicates that God designed the body to need each other. That he has intentionally withheld blessings and gifts from you directly because he wants you to receive them from your brothers and sisters. He doesn't want you to be self-sufficient. That's stunning and it goes against so much of what Christian culture tells us is good. It's not just you and Jesus it's you and the body of christ and it's not a bad thing it only becomes a bad thing if we live like we're not designed to be interdependent just like a kidney can't function as a kidney by itself it needs the heart and just like a heart can't function by itself it needs the lungs and just like the lungs can't function by itself, it needs a diaphragm. And just like the diaphragm can't function by itself, it needs a stomach to provide energy, and yet could go on and on and on. We are the body of Christ. That's the analogy the Bible uses. We need each other in order to do basic Christianity. Have you felt it? <laughs> Have you felt this need? I've definitely felt it during this pandemic and time of distancing. I felt like a pick your preferred organ, just just sitting out there by itself, not connected to the body the way I should be. We're so needy. And maybe what the Lord has graciously done for His church through this is to show us and to remind us how needy we are for each other. You can't get it by yourself in your prayer closet with your Bible. You need the body. You should be by yourself in your prayer closet with your Bible as often as you can. But if that's it, you're unhealthy. You're not connected to the body. You're like an organ that maybe is, is nothing's wrong with it. No cancer, no, no cells breaking down yet, but severed. And I'm particularly burdened for this because I've just seen so much carnage, not necessarily in this church, but just friends who've fallen away. And it always, without exception, begins with being severed from a healthy church. That's not to say that if a person is connected to a healthy church that they don't fall away ever. But the people that I have known that have fallen away and rejected Christianity, it always starts with distance moving away, and the enemy isolates us, and then temptation is easier to fall into, and we fall prey to his tactics. We need each other. As it's been said, eternal security or perseverance is a community project. Jesus will lose none of those that the Father has given Him. Not even one. But He uses means. And those means that He uses to make sure you will make it home safely are sitting in this room with you now. That's the point. And that's how significant you should see your church family. Next, these commands set things in order. They bridge the gap. And they show which direction traffic should be flowing, okay? There are two portions, as I've already mentioned, in the Christian life. There's the, the public, or, or, or your experiences with the body, and then the, there are the experiences that are alone, between you and the Lord. And those are both important parts of what Christ has made ours. But I wonder how many of us get the order wrong, I think there is a tendency to think that the reason we come to church and the reason we have Christian friends is so that our personal relationship with God can improve. When in fact, the Bible presents it the opposite direction. You are given experiences of the Spirit and strengthening and insights into the Word so that you can then come and bring it to your brothers and sisters. It is for the body. That's the point. That's the flow of traffic in the Christian life. From the private to the body. Not the other way around. Is that why you come to church? To participate in the life of the body so so that we ourselves can be better? Or do you work at it? Do you, do you strive to know the Lord and, and pray in your, your prayer closet or, or wherever it is you play, pray on the side of your bed or, or in those waking moments? And do you read the Scriptures so that you can have something to offer to those who are in need? I understand this is a hard shift. This, this is difficult to change from. What's the point? Which direction are we going? Is it it for our own personal experience of God or so that we can bring others in? And like I said last week, we need go no further to prove that this is the way it ought to be than Christ's example Himself. Who did not stay in heaven in a perfect experience of the glory of the Father and the joy of His presence, but left Heaven took on the form of a servant to bring us in, even us, rebels. Next, these commands are the cure and safety net for the church. Rightly practiced, these commands are the antidote for apostasy. And it's more nuanced than what we saw in uh, chapter 3, verse 13. When we get to verse 26, he's going to say for or because. One of the strongest reasons you need to make sure you get these three commands down and make sure that each one of you are doing this together as a church is because of the danger of what happens when someone falls away and the likelihood of it. To be ready, like I said earlier, to wade into these verses, we need to be armed with the cure and the safety net. And just trust that the Bible is sufficient and that God is wise in giving us these commands. When we see young people falling away in droves after they graduate high school, leaving the church, rejecting Christianity. What do we do? What do we think? Is the Bible wrong? Is it not sufficient? Does it not give us enough to guide us, to help us prevent that? often we trust ministers, systems, and even the Bible itself. And the Spirit to do the job that you yourself have been given by the Bible that is spoken to us through the Spirit to do for your brothers and sisters. It's one thing to say the Scriptures are sufficient, but if you believe the Scriptures are sufficient, you should be obeying them and doing the things they command for one another, to one another. Here's an example. Do you believe that God is your provider? Hopefully. <laughs> Not a strong amen there. <laughs> uh, he's our provider. We, we, we sing this. But we all go out and get a job. We believe He's our protector. Do you lock your door at night? Do you take precautions and try to be wise like the Bible itself commands? But God is your protector. He uses means to provide for you and to protect you. In the same way, He uses one another to ensure we make it home safely. And it's not inconsistent to say that. It's not speaking out of both sides of my mouth or the Bibles to say that. It is God's strength and His Spirit and His truth that will fix the problem. But let's obey the God of strength. Let's be moved by the Spirit and let's obey His Word and stir one another up to love and to good works so there will stop being so much falling away. Next, these verses are another way of stating our marching orders. Another way of stating our marching orders. These commands are the ground of the life of the church, how it is we're to be, and the measure that we should judge everything we do by. There are several passages like this in the New Testament. I'm not just singling this out and saying that this is the most important verse in all the New Testament. It's everywhere. And at the end of your handout, if you have one, you'll see, I think it's seven different uh, verse references that essentially say the same thing, maybe in a different way, using a different flavor, but the same idea. Tonight, in our discussion before prayer, I hope to talk about some of those other passages and how they, they highlight and underscore and give us a better understanding of what it is that these commands are calling us to. And let me say, if you're not entering into this kind of behavior and commitment to your brothers and sisters in this kind of life, then you've carved out for yourself an unbiblical version of Christianity and you are outside the kind of life that Jesus died to make yours. But if you enter in, even as limitedly as you can, with whatever strength, with whatever gifts you have or don't have, if you enter into that, these commands are beautifully simple. They're beautifully simple. This is for everyone. This is something we can all do. You don't have to be particularly gifted or skilled or in a position of authority or running a ministry. And I don't have to come to you and tell you, here, do this or that. Here, uh, you're, you're now licensed for ministry. Go do ministry. One example I can think of is, is the young people in our church. We, we tend to dismiss or, or think negatively towards the children in our church or just, well, we, we really need to have a spiritual experience. So let's get them out of here. All right, that, that's American church culture. But one time in our prayer meeting, I, I had often gone off and prayed with them, teaching them about prayer, and then we had it all together one time, and, and they were some of the ones who were praying most and longest. Examples, even at a young age. What are they going to do with the rest of their lives? We don't know. <laughs> what are their gifts and talents and, and blessings? We don't know. They're growing up but they're stirring us up to love and to good works. I could mention many others, but I don't want to embarrass anyone. But you know who they are in this church. If you encounter them, they always seem to want to find a way to build you up and to turn you towards the Lord and to encourage you and point you towards Christ. And this is the point. We should all be doing that. Personal growth and all spiritual maturity can be summed up in this phrase How can I be a person that builds up other Christians and points them to Christ? That's it. And lastly, COVID 19 does not change these commands. It's been really hard to try to do these things together during a pandemic. And we're not the first, nor will we be the last group of Christians to ever have logistical, practical, and governmental challenges to do this stirring one another up, right? We've just really entered into the flavor of life that our brothers and sisters in persecuted areas have been dealing with for a long time. And even in worse, orders of magnitude. So I wonder what... Will happen. We have some work to do. I could use the illustration of my wrist. Uh, many of you might still be wondering what it is that I'm wearing here. This is a brace. I had surgery on my wrist, and I've had to wear this brace for four weeks. Doctor's orders. I'm a good patient. Okay, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, but as I've, I've basically worn this 24/7 for four weeks, and when I take it off, uh, it hurts. And this this happens after every surgery, right? I can I can barely move it, so it is less useful now. I mean, I I can still pick up my coffee, which is really all I need it because I'm, I'm left handed, right? So and I can use my phone and all my fingers still work just fine, but moving my wrist is is difficult. So the surgery has happened to remove the bad thing, and now I'm healing, and it's worse off than it was before. It's less functional than it was before the surgery. And now I've got to enter into weeks of at-home physical therapy, of trying to gain my range of motion back. And it's painful. It's painful to move it at all. I I can't barely move it past right here. I think that is analogous to the situation we might be in with the global pandemic. It is towards health. The Lord has used it providentially to expose things, to remove things, to direct our attention a certain way. But there's work to do. And it may be worse, may feel worse now than it was before. But health is the direction, and things will be better if the Lord wills. So let's use this as an opportunity. To recommit to what really matters as a church. To stir one another up to love and to good works. So what are some ways that we can obey this? Let's not be like the man in James chapter 1 who looks at the perfect law of God and forgets what he looks like when he turns away from that perfect mirror. He can't even remember what he looked at. Let's not be like that with the word of God. Let's let it read us and change us. The first thing I think we can do is just understand this is why we gather. If we're not doing this, if we're not stirring one another up to love and to good works when we come into this building on a Sunday morning, then we're really just wasting our time at church. And it can be fun and enjoyable to different degrees, but there's no spiritual value in that. This is why we get here. This is why we show up. This is why we want to see each other, to stir one another up. You can worship God by yourself. Right? Everything is supposed to be worship for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. When we come together, it's to stir one another up. You can also see this as the point of basically everything we do as a church and everything we have been doing uh, with our covenant, the reason for the prayer meeting. Why you even have such a thing as a pastor and how we should do everything else. How, this is what I'm claiming, that the statement, does this help us stir one another up to love and to good works? And if the answer is no, or we're not sure, it's not worth doing. Also, realize and understand that no one person is sufficient to stir everyone up. This is a command for all of us to embrace. My job is to equip you to do that very thing. So try to get the most out of me so that you can, right? That's my job. Just to equip you so that you can stir one another up. Also understand that I, someone might say, um, object, hey preacher boy, you forgot about evangelism. What about the unreached people groups? What about missions? This is the claim of the New Testament that once we do this, once we exist in a level of love and unity and stirring one another up, that then the engine for missions and outreach and evangelism explodes into action. But you can't invert it. You can't. And it makes me concerned. I talk to people Back in my seminary days, we talk about all their grand desires to reach these people and to tell them the gospel that they've never met and they don't care about the person sitting next to them on a Sunday morning. Let it stir one another up to love and to good works. Evangelism and mission are part of love and good works. So let's stir one another up so that we can do all the love and good works. And lastly... Hopefully this goes without saying there's no substitute for spending time together. And you can be present but not present. Right? Any of dads when you come home from work and it's been exhausting and you can be present, you're there but you're not present, right? So my encouragement is that we would have a lingering attitude, not necessarily asking for more man hours or time, but to to linger so that you can enter in and find a way to stir up brother or sister. And I really think that hospitality is the starting place and each of us doing it in our own ways, in accordance with our gifting and our ability, but don't neglect to show hospitality and that we would spend time prayerfully speaking God's Word to one another. So let's enter in. Let's want to be that player on the team to get in the middle and issue the rally cry, the battle cry, for the sake of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take this this pile of ideas and this this long line of thinking and and implant it into our hearts we confess that we do not have the we do not have on our own the will or even the desire to obey your spirit must make it so i pray that we would eagerly seek the good of our brothers and sisters so that you might be lifted up, so that many would be drawn to you as they see our love for one another, that they would know that we are, in fact, the people of God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.